Right, hello, welcome to the um, the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Um, welcome to 2021. Uh, as hosting as always, my name's Dan, and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening. And Khan. Hello, and Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year, gents. Uh, happy welcome New Year. to uh, to lockdown um, in about an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> our Prime Minister... No, don't spoil it, Dan. <laughs> ...will be putting us all into Tier 4 by the looks of it, and I don't know what Tier 5 will entail. Perhaps, uh, I don't know, be locked, being locked in some kind of basement, some <laughs> kind of fallout shelter, maybe. Maybe um, we'll all be locked into the basement where they have the VAR equipment. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, we'd, we'd all reach more logical conclusions than the VAR officials. <laughs> I don't, I, don't, I don't know what it entails, but I, I'm pretty sure I'd have a better stab at it than David Coote. <laughs> and again, that's not difficult. Um, if, if we crack on with, with the, the week's football, um, last week we kind of hinted that Frank Lampard was under pressure at Chelsea, and I, I think the result yesterday against Man City, it, it wasn't so much the result itself, you know, like City can beat anyone in the world on the day, and they played well. I think it was the, the manner of Chelsea's performance because it was absolutely diabolical, pretty much for the part from the first ten minutes. I think I think that's what's got Chelsea alarmed. Um, the Athletic are reporting that the looker and alternatives uh, is Lampard done. Is is Gus Hiddink warming up for his third spell at Chelsea? Is uh, is Avram Grant going to have another pop? Is Jose going to get approached? It, it felt like the Athletic had someone had their finger over the send button hovering while that game was on. Because the second it finished, I think we all got the same push notification. Yeah. It really um. was. Like, I don't think the players had all got off the pitch at the point that it came through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny, we were talking the other week about when United sacked Van Hall, and it wasn't quite as bad as that, but it almost felt like it was like someone ready to jump in uh, in Frank's grave. Um but uh, I mean, I, I caught up on the highlights of the game earlier. I didn't, I didn't watch it. Um, but uh, you know, even from that, you could tell. You know, the scoreline um, sort of flattered Chelsea. Really, it could have been five or six um, from City. Really, if they, a couple of you know they missed, you know, De Bruyne missed that chance sort of earlier on when it was still nil nil, and there was a couple of other chances as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it did just seem a really abject performance from Chelsea and they just seemed to be going from bad to worse. Um, you know, we, we talked the other week about how they had a little bit of a, I think we said it was around October time, they found a bit of form and it looked like maybe the early season jitters had uh, had been dealt with. Um, but it seems they are as bad as they've been now um, under Lampard and, you know, it's difficult to know which direction to go in and we know that Chelsea aren't or Abramovich or whoever makes the decisions there these days, you know, aren't the most uh, patient, uh, particularly after, you know, as we said before, the outlay in the summer. So you, you think it's perhaps only maybe his ties to the club that are keeping him on as long as it is. Um, and if it was anyone else, they potentially would have been shown the door already. Um, what the other alternatives are, I mean, it doesn't seem obviously now with Pochettino gone, I think that might be another factor why he might have a little bit long because they don't seem like great lists of options. Um, but uh, from from the, some of the names I've read, I mean, I heard Benitez was was linked, I think, oh, which seems bizarre. Um, 
So goodness knows whether because he was he was really popular the first time. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean the good thing for Chelsea's hierarchy if they want to appoint Rafa is at least there are no fans in the stands <laughs> because yeah. um, you know he was probably there and he didn't do a bad job, did he? The first time at Chelsea, he, he took over. He, I think he got him into the top four. He won a cup or maybe even two two cups. He definitely um, won the UEFA Cup, didn't he? Yeah, definitely won the UEFA Cup and maybe maybe. Didn't they win the? Didn't they beat Liverpool in the FA Cup final? Was that was that Di Matteo? Is that? Am em- I getting embarrassingly my... enough? That was Di Matteo. Yeah, I'm getting my Chelsea managers mixed up. Um, my Chelsea caretakers. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, I, he did a decent enough job the first time. But he, he he was not a popular choice with the fans. And I don't know that. Even though I think where Chelsea are is different, eight years on or wherever it might be, um, I'm still not sure as a manager who had plenty plentiful battles with Chelsea in the in that sort of uh, mid-noughties Mourinho and Benitez era, I, I, I can't see him being a popular person to go back to. So it's a, it's a good point, Con, that the the list of people, I mean, you know, I've seen Tuchel linked, which is kind of, well, he's the latest unemployed manager, isn't he? So uh, mm. his name's going to be out there. Obviously, Allegri's been linked with every Premier League job going for about four years. <laughs> um, but, but you're right, in, in terms of people to come in in the middle of a season... Uh, especially if you're not necessarily looking to to find your long-term answer right now, it, it is a bit of a bleak um, bleak mm. choice. Tuchel feels like the sort of person Chelsea go for, that sort of fashionable European manager, done all right with another club. He's the kind of person, and they do like recruiting managers from Italy as well. So I guess that's probably why you know Allegri's name. But as you say, he is he's been linked with United before as well, and like I say, every job going. Um, so yeah, they. But yeah, whether they'll go for one of them, there aren't really. Yeah, there aren't many other, you know, really credible options. I don't think. I mean, I I really hope Dan and and you know I might come on to talk about this in, in more in a, in a in a moment or two. But I hope they aren't trigger happy with Frank, and that they give him a little bit of an opportunity to turn this round. Unless really, unless they're going to go and appoint Allegri, because he is by far and away, I think, the, the best free agent manager available. Now, if he's going to come in and take the job in the middle of a season, um, then then I'd say to Chelsea, knock yourselves out, go and appoint him, because he's he's top top class, in my opinion. Um, again, he's not, not maybe famous for his teams playing hugely expansive football, but he's, he's a top class manager. His teams are always very well organised. So if they're going to do that, I have some sympathy for it. But if they're just going to replace Fat Frank with, uh, sorry, replace Frank, I said Fat Frank. Just out. <laughs> the, first, the first Frank, answer fits just fine. <laughs> replace Frank with, you know, a, a general caretaker, a Gus Hiddink or a Rafa Benitez or someone to see them through to the end of the season. Well, I, I'd rather that they sort of give Frank that opportunity to turn it round, really. Um I do wonder, and we've we've touched on this a number of times with Chelsea this year, I do wonder whether the transfers in the summer were all Frank Lampard's choices. Because um, he doesn't he doesn't look much like he really knows still what his best team is or how he's supposed to fit all these players into a cohesive unit. I thought the, the, the line-up to me was strange from the start yesterday. Um, he played Timo Werner through the middle when he's played him mainly wide. He said that was because he was looking for pace on the counter-attack. But, you know, to, to my mind, what you need against Man City is, is some sort of focal point so that when you get the ball back, you can get it forward to somebody who's going to keep it for you. And and that's not Werner's game. Um, I mean, 
I'm an unashamed fan of Olivier Giroud, but I just started Olivier Giroud. Um, I, I just thought the team selection's odd. There's very little consistency in in choice of personnel. I think uh, Hudson Odoi had a, a decent game um, against Villa, albeit you know Chelsea weren't great that night either. And then he's left out, and they bring Zayic back in straight out of you know the the treatment room really, and it it just all feels a bit disjointed. Jorginho's in the team and then out of the team, and um, Mason Mount plays as one of the front three and then one of the midfield three, and it they're they're really lacking, I think, a bit of cohesion and and. They were awful yesterday, and, and City could have won much more comfortably. I mean, there was the, the De Bruyne chance, the header for Phil Foden just after it went 3-0, that I think he should have scored. Um, he just kind of let it hit his head rather than going and, and heading it. There were a couple of chances in the second half as well. If City had won 5 or 6-1, it wouldn't have flattered them at all. Um, yeah. So I understand why there's, there's big pressure on Frank, but I, I, I do rather think that, you know... He is still trying to work out what to do with a bit of a bloated squad with a lot of big names and big egos and big personalities. And I don't think it's all his fault that they're in this sort of slightly mixed up position of not really knowing what their best team is. I, I, I think they need to, to show a bit of faith. Um, and as I say, if you're going to go and get Allegri, go and get him tomorrow and, and sack Frank Lampard. But if you're just going to bring Rafa Benitez in, I, I really don't see the point in that. I kind of want that to happen just because it would be amusing, um, and it would be good to have Rafa back in the league. He's kind of in a, he's in a nothing league at the moment, and he is better than that. Even though I've I've, I've never kind of reconciled with the, the end of his time at Liverpool. Is he over in the? Is he in the Far East or something? He's in China. China or something. Yeah. And pay a course, lot of money though, don't they out there? Well, well they used to. I, I don't. I don't think they can anymore. I think that. I think that's. I think haven't they like passed laws to stop that from happening now? Or yes, I heard something about that. I okay, think so right. the, the gravy I mean, trains sure run out. I'm sure it's not a pittance, mind. But yeah, I don't <laughs> think they can. But no, you're right, Dan. They did a year, a year or two, like fairly recently, because I think they were obviously they were signing players from Europe on just absolutely, Bonkers. you know, crazy money. Who was the kid from Chelsea who went there? Oscar. Who looked. Oscar, that was it. I mean, yeah, that was, you know, bizarre. He was like, what, 24 or something. Mm. And uh, they were offering him £70 million a second or whatever. And yeah, I think they've, <laughs> they've had to put a stop to that. But yeah, equally, I'm, I'm sure you can still make a, a, a decent living out there. But yeah, I, I agree, Rafa, is, he's better than that. You know, he has more to offer. Again, I don't think he's the right person for Chelsea for all the reasons we've just said. But um, yeah, it'd be good to see him back at least in a, a major European league. Um rather than being out there, because I think he's, he's definitely got more to offer than that. But yeah, I, I think you're right, Paul. I think just... May, and, and this is why maybe his ties to the club, you know, Lampard's, I mean, might might just keep him on, because obviously the supporters, and again, it, question of how much it matters with them not being in the ground, he'll certainly be glad they weren't any there yesterday, <laughs> even if it was a few hundred, because, uh, yeah, that would not have gone down well. Um, but, uh, you know, there will perhaps be a bit more a bit more tolerance from the fans given that he is, you know, a club a club legend, really, legitimately so. Um but yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Like I say, he's not not known for his, you know, the, like I, said, I don't know how involved Abramovich is. I know there are some other power players at the club now in the sort of boardroom positions who maybe influence these decisions more. I I'm not I don't know how hands on Abramovich is anymore. Now now we don't let him in the country. Um he's stomped his feet. Um so I'm not sure 
shining example stuffy. of the uh, <laughs> the fit and proper person test in action. Uh, <laughs> You can't yeah. get a visa to get in the about, Only about 30 years too late, but yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, one way or another, you know, if he is going to save his job, then he will need, you know, he needs to have a proper think and answer some of those questions that, that Paul was saying around what is his best team. And maybe even if it means dropping some of those people that perhaps, because I, I think I suspect you're probably right, Paul. I, I don't know how how involved he was in all of those. It doesn't feel like from the way he's talked about them, doesn't really feel like there were signings he was specifically advocating for. Um, I think when, you know, when they all arrived in the summer, he, he seemed sort of pleased to have them because as a manager, you're like, oh, I've got all these new toys to play with, you know, these shiny, exciting, young, up-and-coming prospects. But yeah, were they really the players needed to address the problems at Chelsea? I think we can safely say now, almost halfway to the season definitely not so yeah what does he do to address that you know does he does he change things back to you know maybe not play them as much to make a point uh, you know we'll, we'll have to wait and see um i, I, I think the, i think the one thing that, I, that factors into that i think the one signing i definitely do think frank was very involved in was was ben chilwell and he had a bit of a shocker yesterday um right. man city played uh sterling wide on the right hand side and um, if it was a boxing match, it would have been stopped after half an hour, and Chilwell would have, you know, his corner would have thrown the towel in because because uh, Sterling mm. was just murdering him every time he got the ball. Um, yeah. So, so you know, there, there may be an element there if you're in the hierarchy. And Frank's coming and saying, well, look, you know, I didn't sign these players. There is that point there. The, you might find whoever did in the hierarchy turning around and saying, well, he, he, you did sign Ben Chilwell and he doesn't look too hot at the moment either. So yeah. um, there's always a balance there. And, I, and as you've said, who knows what the, what the behind the scenes power structure is at Chelsea. I think it's always been a bit of a mystery since that kind of yeah. first Mourinho era when it was very clear it was Mourinho and Abramovich, and between them, they made all the decisions. Since then, even in, a, in Mourinho's second spell, there were some mysterious figures behind the scenes that were being more involved in football matters than Jose necessarily wanted. So um, there's definitely some of that going on, as, as there is politics at you know, a lot of these big clubs. Yeah, I, I think just the, the one thing while we're on this, I know it wasn't uh, formally on the agenda, but just as a... As a, as a side piece, you know, we did speak about sort of title races and Man City coming into it. And that's certainly a good marker to lay down, uh, you know, as we turn into the new year. Um, you know, a very convincing, like I say, 6-1 would not have, you know, would have been a, a fairer scoreline really based on the sorts of chances they had. And uh, we'll have to see whether it's a flash in the pan or whether that, that now becomes, I, I believe they have a, on paper, a fairly kind run of fixtures, I think. Um, I haven't checked, but I heard I heard or read that somewhere. Um, so whether that's them sort of gearing up now, they maybe realise that you know there isn't much of a points gap, and that actually if you string a few wins together, all of a sudden you can find yourself at the north end of the table. So maybe that's the motivation they needed to sort of galvanise themselves, or for you know pet to galvanise the squad and say, look, you know we've actually got a crack here at sort of wrestling the title back um, from Liverpool. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that progresses over the next few weeks if they can keep that keep that form and consistency up. I thought it was the best I'd seen Man City play in the Premier League for, for probably a season and a half. Mm. Yeah, from... Uh, I, I mean, Liverpool are top on um, 
Goal difference only at the moment. We're playing Jordan Henderson at centre half tonight. I do not fancy us at Southampton. It's not somewhere that we we tend to have too many easy games anywhere. I, I'm just, it's just incredible that we've not signed a centre half yet. It's absolutely mesmerising stupidity. And if it goes on, it's, it will be gone because City are on a run. They've got five of the next seven at the the Etihad. And I believe all of those seven games, or most of them, are against the bottom seven at the moment. And there ain't many mm. too, too many teams down there on a false position. And you don't look at them having a game at Bramall Lane and thinking that might be a bit of a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've we've already talked about yeah. Sheffield United. Yeah, you know, um, I, I think one thing I wanted just to move on from the title race, Dan, to, to kind of get your view and Khan's view on was was I was having a conversation with a friend about. About and I think it links to Lampard, but it was primarily about the sort of um, Arteta and Solskjaer situations. And and Chelsea are like the latest one, aren't they? We've said numerous times on this podcast one of the kind of big six clubs that sells newspapers and that um, you know makes headlines on TV talk shows has to be in crisis at any one time. That's the rule. At least one has to be in crisis. Um, and Man United had their turn at the start of the season and then Arsenal had a spell and now it's Chelsea's turn. They're on the on the clock, as it were. Um, and I, I was thinking about this particularly in the context of, you know, obviously United have gone joint top this weekend um, or this, this round of fixtures. Um, Arsenal have suddenly won three in a row and moved themselves away from the, the bottom end of the table and, and into a mid-table position. And and I was reflecting on a lot of criticism has been has been directed at both Mikel Arteta and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for the fact that they didn't seem to have the requisite experience to get given the Manchester United job and get given the Arsenal job. Um, you know, Arteta had never managed before. Solskjaer's previous management experience in the Premier League was getting relegated and sacked by Cardiff. Um, and and there was a, there's a sort of feeling, I think, that, oh, well, yeah, but how, how did they end up in these jobs? And my reflection is that the way that both of them have responded to the difficult periods they've had in this season is kind of part of the reason why I think they're in those jobs rather than experienced managers who've worked their way up. Um, because when I think about the experience of, of Unai Emery at Arsenal and to an extent with uh, David Moyes, I know there was managers in between them at Manchester United. What you found there was two guys who've been good football managers at, at a slightly lower level, but good football managers at Villarreal and Everton and done good jobs. Um, sorry, at, at Sevilla, he's at Villarreal now and doing an okay job. Actually, you know, he's 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 not a bad manager. Um, but they'd done good jobs at lesser clubs, and then they came to sort of really big jobs at, at high-profile clubs like Manchester United and Arsenal. Two clubs who, you know, let's go back twenty years, and and it was a, a duopoly really in the Premier League. I think it was nine years where either Arsenal or Manchester United won the league, uh, a nine-year span. Um, and I think they both struggled to deal with the fact that at Arsenal and Manchester United, every defeat is a disaster and it's an inquest and there's pressure. And I think the thinking behind um, the likes of Arteta and the likes of Solskjaer and even to an extent the likes of Lampard, which is where I think this brings in at, at Chelsea, is because they played for the clubs, they understand that. They have a, a better understanding 
of what it requires to deal with the distractions of managing one of the biggest football clubs in the country uh, and, and in the world in terms of fan base and, and um, interest, they have a better understanding of that than guys who've, who've worked their way up the leagues and managed Preston and Everton or managed Valencia and Sevilla and Spartak Moscow or, or, or whichever Russian club it was that, that Unai had a spell at. I think it was Spartak. Um, I, and I think that might be something that we see now as, as, as sort of football changes. The difference between managing one of those clubs with that level of expectation compared to managing a club with a lesser level of expectation. And I don't want to mention clubs and be disrespectful to people. I think it's bigger now than it ever used to be. And and I, I really think, you know, Arteta's done an excellent job at Arsenal of, of despite the fact that things were going wrong and the results weren't going well, he didn't panic and he didn't start doing stupid things. He He kept believing in, I think I know what I'm doing here and I think it'll come right. Whereas I go back 12 months to Emery and he was playing four different formations a game, making six personnel changes between each match. Uh, and he was just panicking and panicking and getting further down the rabbit hole. The same happened to David Moyes at Manchester United. I think the same happened for Spalta Maurizio Sarri at, at Chelsea. And these are all managers who fit that description of they've served their time and worked their way up and earned their dues, but they couldn't deal with the expectation and the scrutiny that you get in those jobs. Um, and I think it's just something I'm interested to get your reflections on because it, it seems to me like it might be a bit of the changing of the way we need to think about those management jobs at the big clubs. Um, I don't think they are necessarily in the way they maybe were in the past, a job that's the culmination of a career. I mean, think about Frank Lampard. He got the Chelsea job after one year in management. You know, I, it, traditionally you'd have had to go and win something to get the Chelsea job. Um, and I just think that might be something that continues um, as we move forward to, to, to be something that we see. Um, yeah, I, I was going to say, I think, I think it's a good, I think it's a really good and interesting point to raise. And I think there are lots of different directions you can go in on this. And I think partly it's because I think the, the, pool of those really experienced managers who've done well at legitimately top clubs is quite small so there's only so many of them to go around so I think clubs have to be a bit more original in their recruitment to an extent and particularly as a lot of the leagues in Europe now are monopolies you only have you therefore have fewer clubs and therefore fewer managers who have those really good CVs that ideally the top clubs would want to go for so I think there's an element of like there's only so many of them to go around um, and then also we've talked before about how there's barriers of, of younger managers coming through um, because of you know some of those reasons as well. And arguably also because of, you know, players now being inverted commas, you know, over promoted. So it kind of becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. The clubs then have to pick them um, for that reason. Um, but I think also there's an element that, you know, there's so much short termism now in football that, you know, and, and because of the way football clubs are structured now is vastly different to how it was 20 years ago, that the manager isn't that all-seeing eye power mm. player that they used to be. So I think clubs can afford to take risks a bit more and be a bit more flippant and just sign someone on a two-year deal and see how it goes. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, oh, well, thanks for coming in and doing a job. We'll go for whoever else next. So therefore they can take a bit, you know, Lampard was a risk, you know, one season of management in the championship. 
absolutely a risk. You know, Solskjaer, what, you know, disastrous spell at Cardiff, only ever managed in the Norwegian leagues before. You know, absolutely a risk. But I think, for me, I think that to the point of, is this going to be a trend? I do think the jury is still out. If, if you know, if Solskjaer wins the league this year with United and Lampard does something, then all of a sudden that will then become, all right, this, this you know, clubs will declare that, okay, this, this strategy works now, we're going to do this. But equally, both those teams, you know, Chelsea and United and, and even Arsenal have been so up and down, it's really difficult to tell if it's going to stick. I think these three managers might be the sort of, make or break they feel like they're almost like the proving ground a little bit um the exception actually is probably you know the, the tremendous job that Steven Gerrard's doing up at, I know it's up in Scotland but that's a good example of a player you know gone from a big club at Liverpool to a, a big club at Rangers that has all that expectation and is actually doing really well legitimately well um so those maybe those four are perhaps um you know the examples that are really going to decide how at least sort of British and Premier League clubs decide to operate with this strategy or not so I think I guess what I'm saying is let's come back a year from now and see how many of them are still in their jobs and that might determine whether clubs stick with it or think no we gave that a go we'll go for the uh you know we'll go for the Tuchels and the Allegri's next time thank you very much and and uh, yeah and look I I think Allegri's in a different category I think he's in that elite management category and if you go for a Someone like yeah. a, an Allegri, I, I think, fair enough. That's, you know, he's, he's a top, top manager. Um, I think it's those people in that sort of next tier down, which I, I do think Thomas Tuchel is in, and probably mm. Emery was in at, at the point that we hired him. And, you know, it, it's those sorts of people where I, I think, you know, it, is there as much in common about managing some of, some of the smaller clubs on the way up as there is about managing the big club? Or is the more in common actually between a, being a prominent player at one of those big clubs and being the manager at one of those big clubs because of that level of expectation and scrutiny? And I think that's the the thing that I really reflected on this weekend. And and um, and I agree, it's 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 not a topic we can get an answer to today necessarily, but I think it's it's worth just. Um, thinking about and keeping in mind as we see, you know, if Chelsea do move on from Lampard, what direction do they go in next? I yeah, think... the, the, the other point, sorry, right. sorry, Dan. Um, the, the only other point I just wanted to make was on, that I didn't, didn't get in before was, yeah, there was a, a, around the time when it was the give it, give it gigsy till end of the season. And, <laughs> and I think John Terry was retiring and talk about, you know, him going into coaching. It was, it was a few years about maybe like about five years ago now, something like that. There was a, a pundit on, I think it was one of the Sky old boys, you know, the old guard. I, I can't remember which one. And he was making that point, basically. He was saying, like, what do Ryan Giggs and John Terry, you know, players who've only ever played for elite clubs, what do they know about, you know, going to manage Southend, yeah. Oxford United yeah. or whatever? And that was his point. Um, and that Because there, there was a debate, wasn't there, about all these, you know, players just being a bit spoilt by saying, yeah. I think one of them had said, like, they only want a job in the Premier League or something. I can't remember which one, whoever it was, Giggs or Gerard or whoever. Um, and I think it sort of opened that debate of are they being entitled, you know, are they just being like entitled sort of spoiled Premier League players just saying, oh, I just want to jump straight to the finish line and not pay my dues. But then, yeah, the counter argument is, as you've said, Paul, well, what do they know about scrabbling around in the lower leagues and going away yeah. to crew and whatever? Because they've never done it. You know, yeah, or, yeah. Or it, it was for cup games and it was a novelty, you know, or they yeah, probably yeah. have their 
because he played the kids, you know. So Which that... I think is the inverse of my argument. Not only is it hard for someone who's worked their way up through those leagues and through managing Norwich or whoever it might be to then suddenly step up to one of the big clubs and go, right, I can do this. Equally, it's hard for someone who's only ever played for one of those big clubs yeah. at an elite level where every defeat's a disaster to, to, to go and manage Shrewsbury where you're going to lose more games than you win. Um, you know, so I, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's just, I think it's the way football is now when there is a bigger gap between the haves and the have nots than there's ever been before. Yeah. The the thing that you know, if you mentioned that I would kind of like to come in there is when, when you appoint these kind of managers, so let's say Lampard at Chelsea and you know, like, you're going to get more patience from the fans so if you appoint someone on a two-year contract, I don't know what, what kind of length Lampard signed, but if you give him a two-year contract, you're not going to get many people saying, oh, let's get rid of this joker in that two years. It gives you a period of time to see how it's going because, yeah, you, you might not get the results you're looking for, but it, it gives you a chance to kind of step back and see, is this going to work? Because it would have been very easy for United to have sat Solskjaer and looking down the barrel at 1-0 at Goodison Park a few weeks ago, a few months ago, uh, it, it seemed inevitable, inevitable to me that that was probably going to happen. United turned it round and win 3-1 and are suddenly on a, an, an annoyingly good run. So yeah, it, it I think of... that's, it's, it's definitely right, Dan, that the, that sort of, particularly someone like Solskjaer, who was a hugely popular player, at Manchester United and Lampard was at, at, at Chelsea as well. Arteta's in a slightly different category because I think he was respected at Arsenal, but he, you know he isn't a club legend. He didn't score a winner in the European Cup final. Um, you know he didn't he didn't play the best years of his career as it were at Arsenal. Um, but there, there definitely is that element of patience when you appoint someone who the fans already have a real strong affinity for. But that doesn't last forever. At the same time, yeah, no, of, of course it does because. I, and like saying I wanted Kenny Dalglish to be sacked, you know, like that takes some doing for a Liverpool fan mm. to admit that. But by the time, you know, like he he came in, like after the, the the when the club was completely broken by Roy Hodgson. I'm not blaming Roy Hodgson; he contributed to it, but I'm not blaming him for it. No, no, no. It was know, it was a situation all told. Liverpool Football Club yeah. was a complete mess from top to bottom. When after Roy Hodgson was rightly sacked, and we got Kenny in, and it lifted the club, it lifted the fans. We were playing good football. We went out and made some good signings the following summer, and then we also signed Stuart Downing. <laughs> so you, you know, like, and and then you know, like I remember talking to you about this at the time, Paul. You know, Kenny was happy with fifth or sixth or seventh or whatever we finished, and the Carling Cup, the club rightly weren't um, and we also we, we, we lost to a Roberto Di Matteo team in the FA Cup final in a game that was there to be won had we started Andy Carroll but we tried to be too clever with our team and you know, Kenny w- wouldn't kind of admit that that season wasn't good enough and you know, he went and I love Kenny Dalglish but we was in the, the, the owners were put in an uncomfortable position where they had to sack Liverpool's most famous player ever and probably more yeah. famous manager ever, they, they had to sack him. And it was the right thing to do, but that's not a, a, a position you, you want to be in. No, agreed. And I think it, it's, it's slightly different with Kenny in the sense that, you know, he was all, he was a blast 
from the past in, in, in much more of a way than I think someone like a Solskjaer or an Arteta or a Lampard is. And because while they've been players, you know, Kenny Douglas was a Premier League man- winning manager with, with Blackburn. He obviously won the, the double with Liverpool when it was the old first division. He did feel like a bit of a, a, a sort of, you know, a galvanizing appointment. Yeah, a galvanizer and a, and a nostalgia figure. Um, and you're right, he did lift the club. There's no, there's no question about that. Um, but the, uh, but I think it is different when, when it's these younger managers who, who are not long retired from, uh, from playing. But, but definitely, I, I just thought an interesting topic to, to talk about because it, it was something that that I was thinking about. Not only watching kind of Arsenal at the weekend, um, but also then watching the Chelsea game yesterday and and reflecting on on where these these clubs are in terms of their uh, their moves to sort of younger managers. Yeah, I, the thing the thing with Arteta and, and Lampard is they do have that former player goodwill. Yeah, and you know until that wears off, and to an extent, I think it has for both of them. But uh, Arsenal are flying at the moment. Three three wins in in seven days, and suddenly Arsenal look a completely different proposition. Yeah, it's, I mean it's going much better than it was. But again, it, it's that it's that feeling of I, I think that's partly because Arteta was able to kind of he understood what was happening when when we were losing games, and he was able to deal with the scrutiny that brought in a way that I go back twelve months, and when it started to unravel, Unai Emery just fell to pieces, and and that's not. I don't think he's a terrible football manager, and his, his record suggests he's not a terrible football manager. But he looked like a terrible football manager for a period last year, and I, I just think he couldn't cope with the the pressure of the job he was being asked to do. Yeah, I, 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 I think with with, with with Unai Emery, let's just agree that he's won the Europa League. <laughs> well, possibly, but I want Sevilla back in it. Oh no, Sevilla, Sevilla stayed in the Champions League, didn't they? Yeah. That must have been a real blow to them. <laughs> it certainly wouldn't have been in the plan. <laughs> um, oh, all I was going to say, just to, to, to finish off on that, around the point around fan loyalty is, is a really good one, Dan. But I think that's sort of split as well, because I think there are different types of fans. And I think particularly interesting at the moment without them in the stadium, because I think match-going fans tend to be older, particularly season ticket holders who keep the season tickets for years or decades even, are more likely to remember these players from their playing days and therefore have that loyalty. But actually a lot of, say, noisy social media or the more global fans, of which Chelsea, United and Arsenal have millions Mm-hmm. Um, will often be a younger generation and actually won't necessarily... I'm sure there are millions of people around the world who class themselves as Man United fans who weren't even born in 1999, um, who won't remember Solskjaer as a player and just think of him as, you know, some some bloke they've brought in. You know, they might know he played for the club, but it won't have that connection. Um, and obviously that's where a lot of pressure can come now as well um, to either players' social media accounts or the club's social media account, whatever that that counts almost as much as the boo- you know booing in the stadium after a crap first half display or something, you know. Uh, but at the moment, of course, there isn't even that option. You only have that sort of online sort of digital noise. You know, you don't have that that match going fans, and obviously we won't we won't ever know how. 
those managers would have been supported this season because obviously we've gone, I know we had a few fans in for a couple of weeks, but, um, you know, nowhere near capacity. So we won't really know how, you know, how would United fans have reacted after the 6-1 defeat against Spurs at Old Trafford, for example, or, you know, or, or, or the Chelsea result yesterday and, and or some of, pick any of Arsenal's games, sorry, Paul, um, <laughs> before the last couple of weeks. So, do you know what I mean? We'll, we'll never, we'll never know, unfortunately. And, you know, hope, you know, we keep saying it, but hopefully they, they will be back before before too long or maybe we'll get a sense but I think it's just something to throw in the mix in that debate as well that I think there's definitely a sort of generational element as well and that divide between yeah the sort of hardcore local match going fans versus the sort of more yeah globalized sort of digital fans or followers if you like whatever you want to call them and there's plenty of players from my time watching Liverpool that I would sooner forget rather than remember Cam. <laughs> well, indeed. Although I, I don't really think that, that, that Charles Etonge is going to get a managerial job anytime soon. <laughs> I doubt that Philip Deggan's on many managerial shortlists. Good God, there's some bluffs from the past. I, there. I, I don't suppose Emiliano Wensu is going to, going to be anywhere on on anyone's I remember, r- radar. I remember him. He was an Argentinian left back, and he had a, a backside the size of South America. He played in that 6-3 game where Baptiste scored a hat-trick at Anfield in the, in the Fizzy Pop Cup. Yeah, well, I, I remember, you may not remember, but I, I, I do. The original game, that original game was actually postponed because of fog. And oh, that rings a bell now, I, yeah. I was, taking my, I was taking my dad for um, a birthday present. Happy, happy, happy birthday, Dad. Let's go and watch the Fizzy Pop Cup. Liverpool reserves against Arsenal reserves, um, and my, my, my dad went to the the rearranged fixture. I couldn't get it off work, so my godfather went instead. And he said that it was entertaining, not through Liverpool reason. He said just like Liverpool were that bad and Arsenal were that much better. It was actually entertaining and funny. <laughs> I remember watching that game in a pub. It was it was a very very bizarre football match. Yeah. Um, Thankfully, not one I've ever seen. I looked at the score when I got to work and I thought, you know what, I'm not going to bother sitting watching a rerun of that. But I, I just know that Insua would have had a bad game. It was a decent footballer, but he couldn't defend. And we've had plenty of those in the past. But I digress. Um, briefly, gents, um, I don't know if the answer's a lot more obvious than I'm making it out to be, but is there a reason that Maurizio Pochettino's took the PSG job? For, for me, it seems as a, if he'd have waited a little bit longer, I, I think he could have had the Chelsea job, for example. Well, which would you rather have? Because <laughs> um, there's a bit of a mess to sort out at Chelsea, whether whether it is Frank or anyone else. But I mean, did I can't remember if we if we just spoke about this sort of separate to the to the podcast. I think you know. Paul, you mentioned it's it's a great way to get some get some blue on the board, you know, get some get some trophies in there, so that because uh, he's kind of got everything but the trophy CV wise, you know, I mm. think everyone admires how he sets his teams up, how his teams play. He's very clever, tactically astute. Um, you know, did great at Southampton, took that to Spurs, and, and really brought them up a level, you know. Um, so I, you, you know, I, I think it's it's potentially a good way to. You know, at the very least, get get a league. Even if you know, even if he doesn't, obviously the Champions League's the holy grail for them. They came close last year, 
whether he'll be able to be the person to take them over the line on that. We'll have to wait and see. But you kind of feel like if he's there for a couple of years, he'll, he'll surely win a league or two at least. And then he can say, hey, I've won a league champion. And people can stop saying, but where are the medals? Even though they'll yeah. probably just turn around and say, but it was in France. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> at least when he goes for interviews, he can at least say he has, you know, people can't say he's not a winner because he would say, well, actually, I am. And and isn't there isn't there a cup like their version of the charity shield or the super cup or something so i don't know if he's already played it wasn't one of his first games i don't know if it's already happened or not i don't obviously really follow the french league but i'm sure i read when he was appointed that he'd have the opportunity to win a cup within about two or three weeks of joining so i don't know if that's already happened um but if not maybe it's sort of in the next couple of weeks um so not a particularly big trophy necessarily but it would be a trophy um i don't know if you guys have got any more on that but uh, i might have to check it um no, I, I I think they do have a couple of different cups in um, in France, so it is it is possible that they're already in a uh, in some sort of some sort of cup final, or, or as you say, possibly even in a, like a delayed charity shield type scenario. Um, I, I agree with you. I think that the reason um, the reason that the uh, PSG job is really attractive is because you can go and put. You can go and put medals on the table. You can go and put trophies on the board, and you can um, you can get that kind of off your back. and And you look at Unai Emery came out of the PSG job and got the Arsenal job. Now I know there are a lot of people who will say, "Well, PSG is a bigger club than Arsenal at the moment," and and I and I, I understand what they mean when they say that. Um, but in essence, the French league is still a backwater, if we're honest, in European football. And and Unai Emery went to PSG from a sort of lower-level Spanish club in Sevilla, from a sort of second-tier Spanish club, went to PSG, won a couple of trophies, had a good jury's final season, and managed to parlay that into one of the top jobs in the Premier League. Um, you know, Thomas Tuchel come from Borussia Dortmund, very fine football club. Luke Jurgen Klopp came from Borussia Dortmund. There's nothing nothing wrong with having, having been the manager there, but it was a, considered a step up when he went to PSG. He's left PSG. He will no doubt be looking for one of those big jobs in England or a big job in Spain um, or a big job in Italy as, as his next career move or the Bayern Munich job. Cause that's, that's the other one. Although I don't, I don't necessarily see that one coming free anytime soon, but you know what I mean? It, he'll be looking for one of those clubs with that kind of more traditional historical uh, significance or, or, you know, or a Manchester city uh, who don't have that, but obviously have a, a huge profile at the moment. I, I, I see a little bit the same with Pochettino. If he does three years at PSG and wins a couple of leagues and has another good run in the Champions League and gets to a final or a semi-final, um, it's only going to increase the chances of him ultimately landing the Real Madrid job, which I've always thought he's probably a natural fit for, um, or one of the, you know, and this sounds like an Arsenal fan having a dig at Spurs and they've been better than the last few years and it's not that at all one of the more prestigious jobs in the Premier League, and, and it wouldn't be the Arsenal job. I, I'm, I'm meaning United, potentially, possibly Chelsea, I suppose. Um, I, I think that's probably why you go there. I'm no, I've no doubt they're paying him handsomely for his services as well, which can't hurt. Uh, and also, uh, while you're right, Danny, could have waited, he could have waited. He has been out of work a year now. And I get the impression... Pochettino's from that kind of working class Argentinian background. And, you know, I, I feel as though he is someone who probably misses the work. He, he's a guy who I see as being very addicted to the process as much as to the, the outcome. 
And so I suspect he's missed being on the training pitch um, a great deal. And, and PSG's a good opportunity. He played there as well, remember? So, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why I think it makes sense for him. Yeah, I think that's fair. I've, I've just, while you've been talking, not that I wasn't listening, Paul, but I have also just had a quick <laughs> So it's a week a week Wednesday. It's the Trophy des Champions. So I, I think it must be their charity shield and they're playing Marseille, um, who are, of course, their big rivals. So it won't necessarily be an easy one. But yeah, it's next Wednesday night is the, the whatever this trophy is, is his first opportunity to uh, to win something. So we'll, we'll check in in a couple of weeks, see how he's got on. Well, it's it's not the given that it normally would be that they win uh, League One, and I'm sure they will. I'm sure he'll he'll, he'll galvanise them because they, they've they've managed to to fabricate a title race of their own um, with a, a bit of a slow start. Well, of course, I mean the reason he's got the job is because there was a vacancy. <laughs> the reason for the yeah. vacancy is that you know they weren't doing well. I think they they won four uh, nil a couple of days before Christmas, beat Strasbourg. So you know. Um, yeah, I'm sure they'll there will be that, like I say, galvanizing uh, galvanizing effect. Um, and I think the other thing, just to, you know, around the sort of you know potentially going for something like the Madrid job or another you know big big club is that you know there's always there's also that test of managing the player egos as well. And can you you know can you be successful while keeping you know people like um, you know Neymar and Mbappe sort of happy and so on who are very influential at the club from what I believe. Um, so there's that element to it as well, which perhaps didn't have as much of at Spurs. You know, Harry Kane doesn't come across as a prima donna, particularly, you know, sort of boyhood lad, you know, done good. Yeah. And, you know, other than maybe someone like, you know, we've talked about Deli Ali as, you know, can have a bit of an attitude problem. But actually, um, I think, uh, you know, beyond that, you know, they were a pretty pretty decent bunch at, at Spurs generally you know they were, it wasn't really known as a I mean we saw Mourinho was calling them too nice when he joined you know because they were that sort of that sort of squad they weren't they weren't a squad of you know troublemakers or egos um so uh yeah whereas I think at PSG it's a bit different because obviously they've got the money to just go and buy you know experienced players who therefore come with that sort of bit of swagger and arrogance and expect to be treated a certain way so it is a it's a different sort of test from a managerial, you know, from a man management perspective as well, um, which is also a, a sort of an element you can put on your CV to say, well, I've managed these big names and won with them and been successful with them. Therefore, you know, give me the Real Madrid job, please, Mister Whoever the President is these days. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it, no, it's, it's a good point, Con. It's not one I considered, but I think that's a really good point. It's it's something that he hasn't done at sort of his previous clubs. Is is really managed those superstar style egos, and I think it's fair to say that both Emery and Tuchel had some issues with that at different times in the PSG mm-hmm. job. So if he can if he can get Mbappe and Neymar being kind of team first and and fully bought in, then that will definitely be seen as a feather in his cap. Basically, what you both mean is that if Neymar wants to get sent off or or get himself suspended so he doesn't have to play when it's his sister's birthday, that Maurizio Pochettino <laughs> might not stand for that as much as previous managers. <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment, Dan. <laughs> uh, leave, leave that to me. Um, it's the 4th of January. Uh, I'm tearing what little her I have left out over the fact Liverpool haven't signed a centre-half, but the transfer window has swung open. Doesn't look like it's going to be a busy window. No, it really doesn't, Dan. I, I think, obviously, the COVID situation ongoing makes makes bringing players in from different countries difficult. Um, it makes uh, 
the finances for clubs difficult. And so I think when you put all those combination of factors together uh, and the fact that it's a bit of a strange season anyway, and I think when you look at the clubs that are in the positions, so, you know, uh, you look at the bottom of the league, how many of them clubs are going to have big money to, to go and spend? Uh, I think when you look at all those combinations of factors, um, I, I expect a relatively quiet window. I do still expect Liverpool to, to bring somebody in at centre-half. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but central defensive pairing tonight is Jordan Henderson and Fabinho, which is a central midfield pairing, isn't it? Not a centre-half pairing. Yeah, I'm, um, not, I'm not happy. I'm not happy uh, and, 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 you know, uh, you, you would expect Liverpool to do something there almost out of necessity. Uh, but I look around otherwise. I, you know, so I don't I don't expect to see a lot of big incomings in the Premier League. I think West Brom will try and add one or two because um, at the moment they are they are not surviving. Whatever Sam Allardyce does, they're dreadful. Um, so I, I expect, you know, him to go and find a couple of people we've never heard of from, from leagues around Europe who come in and can head it and kick it. Um, <laughs> I, I, but I, I wouldn't expect there will be a lot of activity. I look at the other clubs down at the bottom. Brighton might bring one in. I can't see a lot of activity there. Fulham, similarly, you know, they had a sort of trolley dash at the end of the summer window, didn't they? Um, and, and brought Lukman and, and Loftus-Cheek and people like that in on, on a loan basis. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a relatively quiet time. And I think you'll see a lot of the, the bigger clubs will keep their powder dry till the summer. Yeah, I don't think there's much more to say to that. I mean, I'd, I'd bear, yeah, I think it's kind of opened with a whisper. Um, and it will probably close with one as well. Um, oh, it always yeah. closes. Always closes with a slam, con. <laughs> and, and, and no matter what, Jim White will be screaming at the top of his voice, waving his yellow and black tie around, and being on the phones with every agent in Europe, even though the whole continent's going to be locked down before too much longer. Um, only if you watch him, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, a, a very good point. But it's it's kind of um, it's just car crash TV, isn't it? You kind of just feel compelled to watch it just to see who, who who's left disappointed, which is almost inevitably everybody. Because for, for, for since pretty much probably since the Andy Carroll, Fernando Torres, Luis Suarez deadline day, tomfoolery, January transfer windows kind of gone by the by now. Yeah, it's um, if the summer window was anything to go by, that sort of, and I was watching because if you remember, the Thomas Party deal didn't happen till you know the final seconds of the window, <laughs> as Jim would say, um, and I did find myself with nothing else to do sitting watching it. Uh, it was mainly Jim White pretending he was on the phone to agents and Harry Redknapp answering every question about every player he was asked with by saying, I think Spurs could win the Premier League, <laughs> um, which which was nice. But the question was about whether uh, the young Chelsea centre-half was going to go on loan to West Ham. Is it Tamuri? Um, and uh, Harry's answer was, well, Tamuri would be a, a nice signing for West Ham. But, you know, the club I, I fancy is Spurs. I think they could win the Premier League. Um, so if uh, if that's repeated in January, then what a pleasure that will be to watch. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, I, I think can't, can't hit it on, on the podcast we had on deadline day in October when um, he should, Harry, Harry should have a portable car window, which is to follow him round at all times just for him to lean his head out of every time he's talking about, <laughs> about transfers um, yeah. if we move on from the, the 
transfer window circus. Uh, a lot of players, I'm not going to name names, but there's been a lot of players who've fallen foul of restrictions and or, or openly flouting them. Um, I'm not going to go into that too much because it is where it is. If, if someone's been found, they should be punished. What that punishment should be, I don't know. But the the, the thing I, I've got now, especially with, with the news coming out of... The, the, of Downing Street quite soon. Do, do we think that the season's going to go without an interruption, or, or is there going to be a, a suspension at some point? I mean, I I, I don't know, Dan, what what the Prime Minister's going to say in in twenty minutes' time. But I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that that he he tells us all to sort of you know suspend activity in the way that he did back in in March last year. I mean, I think that's that's. A, possibility and if that's the case then it's hard to see how the Premier League continues um, I think generally it must be said that the Premier League has done a good job from when it restarted to the new season beginning overall until the last few weeks we've had almost no incidents of, of you know major positive tests uh, we've not had many incidents where we've we've been aware of players sort of uh, flagrantly breaking the rules, but it, it does seem over the kind of Christmas period to have been a bit of a problem. Um, I'm quite sorry I haven't had an invite to some of these parties. <laughs> of professional footballers have some of them. Some of them sound quite fun. Um, but the, uh, the, you know, I, I think, I think there is a bit there where, come on, you know, again, I'm not going to name names of the players, but but some people have clearly been a bit irresponsible. Um, whether it's the the group that got together in London or whether it's you know what's happened at Manchester City, uh, it, the, the players have got to take a bit more responsibility, or else we are going to end up back where we were last year, where we have a Premier League season that's half finished and no one really knowing what's what's happening. Um, now I do think, as I said last week, that we're in a different situation because you know there's not only eight or nine games left, and we haven't got a team that are wherever Liverpool were half a point away from the title. Um, you know there is a different scenario, and there, there'd be more options on the table, I think, for the Premier League if we end up there. But but I think it is incumbent on the players to make sure they are not flouting the regulations. And if they have, I completely agree with you, Dan. They should be punished. If it turns out, you know. That this, uh, that these parties that have been leaked in the in the media happened, and that they're a clear breach, which they appear on the face of it to be, um, of the the regulations. Then then the football association should step in and suspend the players, um, not long suspensions, but there should be some form of punishment for the fact that they are putting at risk not only themselves and the people around them potentially, but they're putting at risk Premier League fixtures which has, as we've talked about earlier in the year, huge financial implications for football, huge financial implications for the TV deals. Um, and it's just irresponsible to put that at risk so that you can have a party with them, big bottom Latino girls, or whatever else it is that takes your fancy. <laughs> Don't know who you're talking about. I, I think, yeah, it is quite sort of baffling given the profile that players have now and you know with social media and so on that they really thought they were going to get away with it it does seem a bit daft and you know i'm sure they're not the only young people to to breach or, or just people generally even um but but you know when people aren't famous no one cares but premier league footballers are famous so people do care yeah um, and that's why they're in the news and you know Bob around the corner isn't sort of thing. Um, so it does seem strange that they, they thought that they'd really get away with it. But, you know, you're right. Generally, 
you know, it, it, there have been very isolated cases and whether we can, you know, since the restart, you know, back in the summer. So whether you can just put this down to it's Christmas and New Year and mm. that's why it's, you know, and I think you, I think, I think you probably can. Um, At least to some extent, I think definitely. Yeah, but I, but I think now it's a question of, and yeah, we'll, we'll find out potentially quite soon, is actually, is that problem going to be taken out of the Premier League's hands? Um, if, you know, depending on, on, on what the government announce um, later on. So we'll have to wait to see. Obviously, I hope it doesn't because I, I really don't want to go back to having quizzes twice a week. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, um, and uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll just have to, to wait and see. So I, I don't I don't think that, you know, if, if that decision gets made, I don't think it will be because of this or anything that football has done. It will be more of a just a broader blanket of yeah. regulations. I think, you know, foot, you know, football in the Premier League generally has been quite responsible. There have been some isolated incidents, but they have been isolated and they've been sort of contained quite quickly. Um, and I think, yeah, there's been a bit of a seasonal spike. But do you know what? Maybe there was always going to be for one reason or another, just because of the time of year it is um, and what that involves for people. Um, perhaps it's not hugely unexpected, despite it being, like I say, clearly idiotic from the people involved for these, for the reasons that have you know, been published in the last few days. And we um, have to remember as well that some of these players will are living at home with families who will have had more contact with other people around the Christmas time, whether, it, whether it's, you know, supermarkets. doing their Christmas shopping or, or in supermarkets or, or whatever else. So not all of the instances that we're seeing in the Premier League of, of cases being up are necessarily attributable to players not following the rules. And we should be absolutely clear about that. Some of the um, some of them will be. Um, <laughs> some of them sound as though they might well be <laughs> to do with things that, that clearly breach the regulations. But there may just be other other set cases where, you know, someone's kids picked it up at school, someone's wives picked it up in the supermarket, and the player is still going home and, and, and living with his family, and then it, it comes into the training ground. So we have to be careful not to broad brush it, but yeah, there have been some instances in the last couple of weeks that don't reflect well and, and hopefully they are isolated and we can get back to the generally good job that football has done in avoiding that since um, since the summer. Or we can just stop the season and give the title to Liverpool. Well, now, now I don't think they could do that now, Dan, because you're only joint top. Yes. In fact, you're not. You're not are, you, are you joint top before this game? Um, we're joint top at the moment, yeah. Okay. But if you win tonight, United would still have a game in hand. They would, and the next yeah, game, the, the next Premier League game is at uh, Anfield against Manchester United. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Is that yeah, next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next, oh, there's FA, FA, FA after the FA Cup. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Okay. A week Saturday, I think. I think. Well, I, th- I think some of the, the the people from um, these sexy parties might end up playing for Liverpool on on Friday. I'm convinced that's going to be a reserve reserve team at Villa Park. Um. And it probably won't end up 7-2. It'll probably be a far more respectable scoreline than that. But yeah, to, to paraphrase Queen, um, fat-bottomed Latino girls make the football world go around. <laughs> or not, and, actually. <laughs> yeah, or not. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Liverpool play reserve team at Villa at, on Friday night and lose because the the rule is uh, Jurgen Klopp basically doesn't, doesn't really give much of a monkeys about the FA Cup from what I can see. And you have to go out to a team from the Midlands every single season. I think that's the rule. Yes. Um, so uh, so I think it would be completely in keeping with Klopp's management so far. He, he, 
he is not clearly the biggest um, fan of the FA Cup. Uh, and, you know, he's perfectly entitled to say that he'd rather spend his time focusing on the Premier League and the Champions League. If he if he keeps winning those competitions, nobody's nobody's really got anything to um, anything to, to knock him down with. We're, we're kind of slipping on to, to other business here, but I think the problem Jürgen has with the FA Cup is not the FA Cup. It's the timing of it and the yeah, scheduling yeah. around yeah. it. So yeah. he's a big... Um, a big advocate of, of, a, of a winter break, not the kind of disastrous break at the end of January, which serves no purpose whatsoever. You know, I, I think he, he wants the German model of shutting down over Christmas and New Year. Um, yeah. And uh, and he's not got his way with it, and he won't get his way with it because festive football is a big thing in this country. So he, he will look after his players, and if he's got a break books for them all in, in Dubai, then they'll go there and we'll play... Um, someone I've never heard of, and that's happened in the FA Cup against Shrewsbury. And the Shrewsbury chairman will tell all and sundry that we should be picking our strongest team when it's got absolutely nothing to do with him whatsoever and has not affected his income whatsoever. But I digress. Um, any other business at all from you two? Uh, just that we noticed today, didn't we, Dan, that we talked about Port Vale, who were probably not used to being talked about on this podcast. Grim, Reap- Grim Reaper. We're going to do it two weeks in a row because because um, John Askey I think has uh, has left the building hasn't he today? He has, um, which is a real shame because he did a good job when he first took over there. But we talked last week about the fact that um, things haven't haven't quite gone right. Uh, so yeah, it's another. We seem to talk about a managerial sacking in the football league at least once a week, and uh, and this week it's Port Vale. Joey Barton's left Fleetwood today as well. Oh, has he? Has he really? I'd not seen that one. Yeah, yeah. Um... I I I don't know if it's a a mutual or a sacking, but I, I know it did say some time for a time for something different for them both. So that to me reads. And again, I you know I think generally um, Joey's done a decent job at Fleetwood. He's he's done a better job than I think I thought he would do when he first um, when he first took took over. And obviously they were in the playoffs. I think weren't they last season? They're they're only mid table now. So um, yeah, that's a bit of a surprise to me, Dan. I'd not heard that one. Uh, but I think Joey. Obviously, there was that strange incident, wasn't there, where there was a, an incident in the tunnel. But generally, Joey Barton's first foray into management at, at Fleetwood's been more successful than I thought it would be. Well, I, I thought it would end up upside down on fire. It, <laughs> yeah. It's definitely not done that. So, so again, you know, if he wants to carry on in management, I'm sure there'll be a job there for Joey, whether it's in League One or, or League Two. Um, uh, if if he you know if he wants to get back onto the the merry-go-round as it were, turn up at Vale. He could. He could. I mean, the, yeah, Vale could do worse than appoint Joey Barton. I'm sure it would certainly. Make... And probably will. <laughs> but yeah, it probably. Yeah, Vale don't seem to to uh, have much luck. They, they, everything they seem to do goes seems to go wrong. Because because they're a Northwest club. I used to watch football on um, on Granada. You know, I used to watch the. The, the Potteries games because it was on quite often on a Sunday yeah yeah afternoon. I remember those days Dan the the, the Sunday afternoon games from what's, the... El, what's Elton Wells be doing yeah, yeah exactly Elton Wells be yeah and the Potteries games were on and we used to get a lot of in Stoke we used to get a lot of the Midland clubs more than the Northwest clubs so we used to get Stoke and Vale if they were playing but we used to get a lot of Wolves Birmingham West Brom the Barry Fry Birmingham team, I could almost reel it off, and they had about 40 players. 
Um, but but they seem to be on my tally every weekend. Uh, they were the days. That was that was your Sunday. You got one Premier League game uh, uh, where we're on a complete tangent here. But you got one one Premier League game at four o'clock. You got a game from your local region in the in the Championship at sort of noon time or early afternoon, and you got uh, a game from the Italian Serie A on Channel Four, didn't you? That was that was your Sunday afternoon. Yeah, James Richardson was always there. Yeah. And he was always there on a Saturday afternoon as well for, um, I can't remember what the football Italia in the Saturday afternoon was, on a Saturday morning was called. Uh, Gazetta. Was Gazetta, it? that's it, yes, Gazetta. Yeah, yeah. I think started started when Gaza went there and it was a bit of a play on words. But um, uh, but yeah, it lasted, it lasted a good while. It was good, that, the old Channel 4 Italian football. Long, longer than Gaza. <laughs> yeah. Anything, anything extra from you, Khan? Uh, no, I don't think so. Other than say, I was also a big fan of football Italia. I think everyone was of that that sort of yeah, age. Yeah, we all were. Um, it was always almost felt a bit glamorous tuning in. It did. All these sort of, uh, superstar yeah. football, so all these superstar football, because that was at the time a, a, an ideal opportunity to watch uh, real Ronaldo. Yeah, in, well, in action. well, if you remember, that that was still in the days when the Premier League and foreign players. It was still a relatively new thing, and we had some foreign players, but we didn't have loads of foreign players, whereas Serie A had already become pretty much an international league, hadn't it, once he'd relaxed the three foreigner rule. Yeah. Um, and so you could turn on and, and watch, you know, Argentinians and Brazilians and, and all these kind of people who seemed really exotic uh, to us when, you know, our experience of foreign players at that stage was sort of Roland Nielsen and Anders Limpol. <laughs> It, it, it was Scandinavians who work hard and, you know, get up and down rather than, the, although Limpard didn't necessarily work hard. But um, <laughs> but it was it was more that type of player that, that we were used to seeing, John Jensen, than, <laughs> rather than the, rather than the sort of flair players you Stick got to see on, on. a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Torben Picnic. <laughs> it was them people. That was what we had. And that, that was your name, Bonto Gwenchev, who played up front for Ipswich. I always remember that name. Jan Argafjortov. They were they were foreigners in the Premier League, uh, whereas Italy had Brazilians and Argentinians and, you know, not, the not great it, Dutch players in the early 90s. Nottingham Forest would have had um, a, a playbook and a collection of the outright worst, some of the outright worst foreign player, Andrea Salenzi, what a disaster he was. He was an awful footballer. That sounds to me like a subject for a podcast at the end of the season, Dan. We could do a whole one on the sort of, you know, the worst foreign signings in Premier League history. (laughs) And Liverpool will be at the forefront of most of them, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah, we we might need a bumper edition. Uh, Well, that that sounds like a, a great deal of fun to me. And um, there's a possibility we might not have current football to discuss for a few weeks. So Mad, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep that idea in the back of the yeah. head. Well, well, it depends what Nicola Sturgeon says because Boris Johnson will just lean over his shoulder and copy your homework. Copying, copying yeah, the homework. I've just, the... I've just seen the uh, Mr. Bean meme. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, yeah. I've seen the Mr. Bean meme <laughs> yeah. as well. Co- yeah. co- copying the homework from the smartest kid in the class. <laughs> um, right. Well, I, 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 there's always so much more I, I can add, but. Um, <laughs> not um I, I would happily continue this Italian mm-hmm. Italian football discussion, but I think we'd better save that for another time. Um so we hope you've enjoyed our first show of twenty twenty one. Um we'll be back next week, whether or not we've got football to discuss. I'm sure we will have a I don't see a situation where the league gets suspended anytime soon unless it gets really out of control. Um I'd like to remind you all that you can listen to us on Podbean, 
on Spotify, on iTunes, and you can also ask Alexa, although you'll have a bit of a, a letdown if you've been listening to something good on Amazon Music and you get my squat box of a voice on instead of Blondie or Eminem or whatever you were listening to. Can't think of anything further apart from those two. So thank you very much for listening as always we appreciate your time and we'll be back next week gentlemen have a lovely evening i'm off to have my evening room by liverpool i'm off to watch the prime minister dan so catch you soon well that's going to ruin your evening as well so (laughs) (laughs) cheers guys cheers gents